Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jonathan. And this is the podcast where we watch the Tudors after almost 10 years and go into depth on the history and background of the show, explaining the stories behind the drama. Learn more about the show and about us at watchingthetutors.com. This is episode three. Woolsey, Woolsey, Woolsey. A quick reminder that if you like the show and want to see more of it, please give us a rating on iTunes. It's the number one way you can help a show succeed because it helps other people find the program. Let me talk about the reason why we're doing this quickly and our tutor cred. So I'm Heather and I started the Renaissance English History Podcast in 2009, two years after the tutors premiered. And it's still running. And if you want to get into even more depth, you can check it out at englandcast.com. I thought it would be fun to go through and start watching the tutors from the beginning again after almost 10 years and see what stuck out after learning and podcasting about this period for such a long time. And it's my goal to bring the stories behind the tutors to life in a more accessible way for the average viewer. And hopefully people will want to go even deeper and check out the other podcast as well. And I'm Jonathan. And I always hear my wife talking about um, historical English stuff that I know basically nothing about. And I always hear these names of kings and stuff like that. And I thought this would be a good way to sort of learn a little bit about this subject that uh, she finds so interesting. I figured there's got to be some reason she's so into it. Are you and getting interested in it? Yeah. At all? Yeah. Three, three, three shows in and I can see what the, what the interest is. What the appeal um, is. Yeah. I, cool. I can't say it's really, you know, my thing, but I, 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 I get why people are into it. I mean, I, I, I do. And, and I do want to find out what's going to happen. And, um, you know, it's not just about the drama. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. historical. I mean, you okay. know, most of it really happened and yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, also about the significance. I mean, it sort of affected the way the, the world works. I yeah. mean, at least the, the Western world, which, you know, everything has you. ripple effects and, uh, you. yeah, I don't think I've ever been so into history as I am just, uh, three shows into a, uh, a Showtime produced show. So there you go. The, the, the power of television. And also my, my part in the podcast is to sort of represent the historical layman uh, who don't necessarily know all the all the details. We just know sort of what they show us. So rock um, on. Yeah, I hope I hope the other people who aren't history buffs can understand a little more or sort of get a little more into it from from my perspective. So we'll do a quick recap. And then you'll ask me questions. Yes, I will. I have awesome. a whole list. Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's, it's the long longest list. list I've had so far. Oh so. God! All right. It's, um, it's it's this stuff is fast moving. I can't. Believe, it's it's soaked with drama and uh, historical amazingness. Wow. So 
spoiler alert, this whole series assumes that you have watched the episode or you're rewatching it with us. If you haven't, please stop and watch the episode if you don't want to have spoilers. So we're going to be talking about everything that happened. And, and, and also, as I always point out, we, we may have sort of spoilers in the future, um, historical, larger themes that, that happened, uh, the like Woolsey becoming more important in, in his role and things like, like that. Like Anne Boleyn so, dies. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert. Anne Boleyn dies. I, yeah. we, we've, you know, some of those things we think you, you would know or, or yeah. something, or it wouldn't put you off too much. So, yeah. So the recap of episode three, Woolsey, Woolsey, Woolsey. It originally aired in April, 2007. So that we see more people trying to bring down Woolsey. It's like a common theme is that Woolsey's kind of up there with people trying to knock him down. Also, the young gentlemen of Henry's court are feeling a bit left out at all the honors being given to Charles Brandon, Duke of Suffolk. Anne Boleyn seems to be catching Henry's attention. She's driven on by her father and uncle in this quest to bring some power back to the uh, old families of England and talk some shit about Woolsey. And also the emperor, Charles V, comes to England and he signs a peace treaty and little Princess Mary is betrothed to him despite a rather large age difference, which was not unusual. Catherine of Aragon confides in her nephew that she's feeling a tad bit uneasy about her marriage, and she's actually afraid that Henry's going to ask her for a divorce. And he responds that he's always going to support her, and she can count on his loyalty all the time. And speaking of loyalty, Thomas More gives some feedback to Henry on an anti-Lutheran pamphlet, pamphlet that he's writing to send to the Pope, and has authorized him more to burn a bunch of heretical books which is proof that real life is often more ironic than fiction because that part is actually all true and how things would change in just 10 or 15 years. Poor Henry and his relationship with the Pope. Also Henry's sister in the show, we see the sister called Margaret. She's marrying the King of Portugal. And it really pains me to say this because I don't understand why they had to change her name. And I understand why they had to make it Portugal for the show, but I, it's just, it's that part's just so dramatically licensed and it just kind of makes my head hurt, but that's what happens in the show. So there we go. You want to start asking questions now? Sure. Yes. Okay. So the whole thing, this episode started off with like a play that they were practicing mask mask. So, okay. So it's called a mask. Okay. Yes. And the guy sort of organizing it, putting it on was Cornish mm-hmm. that's William Cornish I guess yes. and who's who is is he someone like is he a he was a, a composer and he put on masks and he was actually largely responsible for the the events the pageantry of the field of cloth of gold and there was just a lot of um, pageant. This was that's very common in court life is to have pageants. So, you know, you'd have like an impresario or a person who would put together the dances and the scenery and all that kind of stuff. And that actually continues. You know that we have the theater at Elizabeth Elizabethan Theater and Shakespeare. But even past that, uh, in the Stuart Kings, uh, we're looking a hundred years on. There's a very famous guy called Inigo Jones who was an architect. But one of the big ways that he got famous was putting on masks, designing the sets and things like that for masks for 
King James I, his wife, Anne of Denmark. And so that this is a role that is in court life ongoingly. Cool. So it's kind of like producers, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And later on, he got like money from Thomas from Boleyn, Thomas right? Boleyn because he because he put Anne in in his good. mask or whatever, yeah up in the good place. Cool. Okay. Um. So, yeah. So you alluded to this, but sister sister Margaret is mm-hmm. is not really like the king had a sister, but. She, yeah, yeah I mean, I just don't really that. know why they had to do this, why they had to change her name. So Henry had two sisters at this point. Margaret, there was a Princess Margaret, and she was married off into Scotland. So her lineage actually is what became the Stuart Kings and succeeded after Elizabeth, after Elizabeth died. Mm-hmm. And that was through her line. But he had another sister, Mary. Now, this whole story with the marrying this old king, it did happen. It was France. And it was before all... Of, I mean, I understand in the in the timeline here, because they were just in France with a field of cloth of gold last time, it, it wouldn't have really worked. But in real life, P- Princess Mary was married to the French king, and he was... 30 years older than her and she was very distraught at it. And there is this uh, idea that she told him she would go ahead and do it. And it was this informal promise he made her that if the man died, the King died, she could remarry who she wanted to for love. And, and that, so it's just, Mm -hmm. it was, he did have a Margaret princess, Margaret. She was in Scotland and there was Mary went to France. Gosh, why, why do they have to name everyone the same name? (laughs) <laughs> they were really unoriginal, and and there's some and there's some new Thomases in this of uh, episode as well. So, Marys and Thomases. Yes. All right. So Margaret was not <laughs> marrying the King of Portugal. That's just. And then Charles Brandon is it? Mm-hmm. That's he. So he was made Duke of Suffolk. Yes. And that's like this is a real guy. Charles Brandon mm-hmm. is a real guy, and he was mm-hmm. really made Duke, Duke of Suffolk. Yeah, he was one of the, like, he became Henry's really close BFF. He was a gentleman. I think his father, I'd have to look this up. Let me look it up quick. I think his father was the standard bearer for Henry VII. Um, uh. And so he was fighting that right there next to Henry VII in Bosworth Field. And so that's... Charles, I think his father died actually. Yeah. And yeah, he was the standard bearer for Henry Tudor. That's who his, so father, his father was. His father was buddies with his dad. Yeah. It was Henry's dad. Yeah. And so Charles Brandon grew up in the court and mm-hmm. became BFFs with Henry, but he wasn't, you know, born from an old yeah, noble. nobility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the king asked Charles something like oh so you're married to elizabeth gray now like it's it's or who you married to it's hard to keep track of who mm-hmm. all you're married to kind of thing and you were saying like you mentioned to me that charles brandon was married to his sister the king, henry's sister well yeah so because she goes off to portugal and in, in the in the story and but in real life she went to france and married the french king and he died after like six months mm-hmm. and Charles Brandon went to retrieve her, to bring her back to England. 
and they fell in love and they got married and they got married without asking Henry for permission, which was illegal at the, I, well, I'm not, I think it became a law out of what she did, but you pretty much, if you had a claim to the throne, you had to get permission from Mm -hmm. the King because it was a diplomatic thing at that point. So it was kind of like foreshadowing with him saying, can't I trust, you know, you can't trust, I can trust you with my sister. And he's like, Oh, are you sure? Wink, wink. Uh huh. Because he's going to end up marrying her. Clever. He's marrying the other one. Because yep. Margaret. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good, good, good stuff, Charles. It's, it Brandon. pains me to say Margaret because I really want to say Mary, Margaret Mary. Because <laughs> it, yeah. Margaret's in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Why did they do that? All right. So moving on. So oh, the yes. emperor. Yeah. Who is also the king of Spain. Yes. And the nephew of the yes. queen of England. I have a little bit more information on his lineage, like just from other stuff I've been reading just separately, but go on. Okay. So they were talking about like Lutheranism Mm -hmm. spreading from Germany into Spain and how he was suppressing it. Yes. Like, uh, I I mean, that was, that was going on. Like Lutheranism was spreading. This is the height of of the, the the Spanish inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise, fear and surprise and almost fanatical. What is it? Anyway? Yes. This was the height of the Spanish inquisition. And so, okay, yeah, so that's what the Spanish, I, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's what the Spanish inquisition was, was to root out all of this heretical stuff going on. I see. So with yes. the guys with the hats and mm-hmm. stuff were exactly. coming around and being like, do you like this guy, Martin Luther? And if you said, sure, I do, they'd like kill you. And even if you said, no, I don't, they'd they kill would you like anyways. search your house to see if you had any heretical texts and they would look and see if you, that they would look and see if you were, you know, going to the mass regularly. Did you ever associate with people who were known to be reformers? What was, you know, did you ever miss mass? All I that see. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and so, so that was what was going on in Spain. At yeah, the yeah. Time. So Charles was, was sort of at the head of the inquisition or yeah. did he start it? Well, actually no. Uh, Isabella, Queen Isabella of Ferdinand and Isabella was uh-huh. the first one to, introduced the Inquisition into Spain. Hmm. And the thing is, though, what put Charles in a weird position was that he was also the heir to the Habsburg family, which was in Germany. So he, and that's where Lutheranism spread in, in the German states. And so, you know, he had this weird relationship going on where he had these lands where it was like really flowering and was really ripe for. Yeah. So he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of conflicted with his different obligations, or yeah, but he was you know Spanish at heart, and his mother was Spanish, and, and he was like also that, the so, yeah. the Roman emperor. Right. So I mean, he would have been behind like Rome and Catholicism, yeah. yeah well, By in his... theory, he was later going to sack Rome, but yeah, yeah, it's all it, not, nothing's <laughs> that clean in all of this, really, <laughs> no. is it? No, everyone's related to everyone. And... Exactly. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that later. So. um and then the king was also against the Protestant movement, as it yes. as is later shown by like his letter or yes. whatever condemning. Mm-hmm. He wrote a, a pamphlet in real life, okay, condemning it, and that's how he got the title "Defender of the Faith," which monarchs still use in their official titles today. Because he was so yeah, defensive of the of the faith. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
And then they talked about a new treaty between like the, the mm-hmm. delegates or whoever they were like, yeah. came from Spain and they were, so that's, and then they signed it at the end. Like that, that yeah. was a th- real thing. Like, yeah. And it, the timing again is weird because they actually in real life met up right before the field of cloth of gold. So Charles actually came to England like a week before the fi- before they went to the field of cloth gold to sign the to sign the treaty. French treaty. Yeah, so they were just signing treaties right and left. Yes, they were. Good times, mm-hmm. but that but that really was a okay. Mm-hmm. So that was a thing. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Henry tried to work with Charles to beat the French, um, whom he signed a treaty with a week later. Exactly, right. and they they decided that, that, that's just details, right? right. Yeah. yeah, details. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and well, and then okay, I. I'm just, now I'm confused. So Charles was to marry Mary. Yes. And was this, do you, like that was a real thing? Yeah. They talk about how there's a report of how sweet she was because she was playing the virginals, which was like an early keyboard. And, you know, she came in and spoke such good Latin. And and, and this was when they met for the treaty. Mm-hmm. But then how was she also supposedly married away to the, French thing, or was no, that just? I don't know how that all worked together. I know that there's a report of her having impressed Charles so much with her playing of the Virginals, and she was about eight at the time. And um, I'm not exactly 100 percent sure that that was at that. Yeah, it would have been at that same meeting. So they were just kind of they were just marrying her to everyone. Yeah. So it's sort of like the treaties. It's yeah. like they're just signing treaties right and left, and they're marrying off Mary. It's the problem when right you only have one and, daughter is, and you're trying to be diplomatic with people. Yeah. See, this is why you want to have a lot of children. So you can just marry them off all over mm-hmm. the place. And it doesn't, yeah. You can throw them around like treaties. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and then again, and I guess this is sort of creative license with the Pope thing, like how the Spanish were now promising to support Woolsey for, for Pope, like everyone's yeah. supporting Woolsey for Pope. And that's just, there's no record of him. Like, I mean, I think Woolsey would have liked it, but there wasn't at this point in time where they're at here, there wasn't an opportunity. There wasn't a dead Pope. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's probably somewhat fictitious. And right. Just everyone yeah. supporting him for Pope. I mean, I, you know, they're trying, they're collapsing several years in different episodes yeah, yeah. here. Okay. So at this point where we are in the story, there wouldn't have been an opportunity for him to have been the Pope. Okay. Now the niece of Norfolk, 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 Norfolk. It sounds like a dirty word. It's <laughs> um, my good accent. That was Anne Boleyn. Yes. Okay. So were they like brother? It was, Thomas Boleyn and the Norfolk guy. No, Thomas Boleyn was married to Norfolk's Norfolk sister. sister. Ah, yes. Okay. And then sir, the Duke of Norfolk mm-hmm. was saying like, yeah, we got to get, you know, get her in there so she can denounce Wolsey. Right. And like, why? Like, cause everyone hates it. Like, wh- why would she yeah. do that? I mean, just cause dad was telling her, but why does he like, I'm, I don't know. Well, 
you know, there's this whole thing where everybody, nobody likes the fact that Henry's brought in all these new men. And there's still this, remember we talked about last time, like the Wars of the Roses, and there's still these long-standing feuds between families uh, and, that and, they want to... And Wolsey's the son of, of a, a butcher. butcher. So exactly. they're like, this damn son of a butcher is basically running, running England. Yep, and we don't like this. And like, we're supposed to be the important ones. So they're just... I he's not it. even no, counseling I, with us about what we... What yeah, he's just done. doing his own thing. He's trying to become the Pope. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever. Yes. And, and building, like, huge castles for himself, palaces. Mm-hmm. And we're just left, like, with our old land. And, yeah. Like, no say in anything. Right. I can see why they didn't like the guy. Yeah. No. Okay. They, now it's... See? It's, people hated him. It's all starting to come together for me. There you go. Yeah. I'm getting it. Okay. So that's sort of one of her jobs, is to get in there and denounce Woolsey. Right. Okay, and then the, the the mask, I guess the play, uh-huh. the mask, like that's that's. I know you weren't there to watch it, and they don't have videos, but that's sort of something they would do, like mm-hmm. things like that, like and little is, sort of funny plays. Yeah, masks. yeah. No, that's. I mean, that was fun. You know, yeah. you've got long evenings, and what are you going to do? There's no TV, so you would put on plays and things like that, dancing and working things out. And in real life. There is this legend that Henry and Anne met. She was perseverance, and and uh, it was a, a mask that was similar to you know what had happened. Okay, so that that's sort of okay. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of historically based. Yeah, that's that. that's the story supposedly of how they well, how he was first attracted to her. That's cute. Yeah, and I was sort of wondering, you know, he he sort of met her and right. kind of was. Uh, captured, you know, like, like yes, enraptured yes. is the word, I yes. guess. Never use that word by her. And yes. I, I thought she was one of his later wives. Like she was, she's his second his, wife, his second, his second wife. So after yeah. all of this happened, all of this was going on, like all the meetings and mm-hmm. everything that was going on in Whitehall. Yes. Well, Whitehall. various palaces around the court, like I said, once before would move okay. from place to place. So, you know, now Henry has Hampton Court. Um, in real life, I don't think he had it yet at this point. But, uh, but in the story, in the he story, was given it by yeah. Wolsey. Okay, yeah. so it's so one of those places. There was also the Palace of Sheen. There was Richmond. There was Greenwich. There were a, a whole bunch of, you know, different palaces that they would move from place to place. And especially in the summer months when there was plague, they would get out of the city. I and, see. You know, so they would move around. And each place had offices set up and you know you would send people ahead to make it all perfect so you just kind of show up and and these were all in the general area of Lent, mm-hmm. what we know now was london yeah okay. yeah from greenwich over to richmond is where hampton court and sheen was and um so i don't know where those places are they're all around yeah, it's all in around. the general london mm-hmm. area yeah okay. villages outside of london and then whitehall of course was right in westminster right in London and okay. they were all uh, the big thing is they were all along the river. So it was easy to get to them. I see. On, on so they the could just float all the people and mm-hmm. the supplies up. And... Yeah. It was a lot easier to move things around if you were along the river. I see. And they would go, uh, I, I'm not sure particularly here, but it, they would go in it, to Windsor as well was popular. And an interesting fact, Windsor is actually the oldest continuously ha- inhabited castle in the world. Good stuff. Yeah. So Windsor was another one along the river was popular. Nice. Yeah. All right. And then they were talking about the war. Mm-hmm. I guess Wolsey and the king or someone in the king. Yeah. Was talking about the war. And he said, I want a new 
Worship. Worship. Yeah. He said, I, I have the, the victory. Or he, yeah, I guess it was Woolsey said, but, but sir, the victory is just being launched. Mm-hmm. Do you want it? And he says, well, I want another one. I, yeah. Like what, was that like really a thing? Like, was he mm-hmm. building a big Navy he built, back then? He's very famous for having built Tudor Navy. So, um, I actually, I'm going to do a plug for my podcast here. I just did a, about four episodes in December, January of 2016, um, 2015, 2016 on the rise of the Tudor Navy. And so the one thing is when Henry the seventh took the throne, I think there were three ships in the Tudor Navy, which is, or in, in the English Navy, which is, you know, kind of funny considering it's an Island nation. And most people at that time, even fishermen never went out of sight of land. So, um, you know, they, they didn't need these big warships, but it's an island. They should have a navy. Yeah. And so Henry the Seventh, because like the Spanish and the Portuguese had huge navies, right? right? Yeah. Well, they were sailing across. Yeah. 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 And it just was. Well, there's a lot of changes that were going on at this time with boats and technology, and people can listen to my podcast for information on that. But one briefly, Henry the Seventh built the first dry dock uh, at Portsmouth, and he started building the navy up a bit. And then he also was famous for being miserly in a way. And he left Henry VIII a large fortune. And Henry saw boats. The, they were like toys for him. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you had some somebody now saw planes or something like that, right? And so he built uh, the Mary Rose, was one of the first ones. He also built uh, the Henri Grasadieu, was a very famous one as well that they actually he tried to take it to the field of cloth of gold. And I think it was like there wasn't a port that was deep enough for it to be able to. So he couldn't get it, it was there. so big. Yeah. So he couldn't, he couldn't actually get it there. He wanted to show it off. Okay. And it, there was one of, I, it might've been that, I forget exactly which one, but the, the Scots at the same time were very jealous and were trying to build up their Navy. And, and I think one of these ships, the, they bought it from him to make it their own. And, and then, um, it, it wound up sinking and I don't know, it was just a story, but yeah, people can listen to my podcast for lots of information on the Tudor Navy. Cool. Yeah. So he was, it showed him shooting a gun, like a rifle mm-hmm. that when he was talking about this and stuff. And yeah. it had me think like, were there, you know, you said that guns were sort of coming around at this time. Mm-hmm. Were there cannons on the big boats yeah. and stuff? Yeah, that was one of the big things that was one of these big technologies was the the side. The um, There was a way that they were putting shingles on the sides of the boat mm-hmm. that allowed for these big holes that the cannons would come out of. Mm-hmm. And the Henri Grace and the Mary Rose both had, had side guns. And also it was interesting because it allowed for naval warfare. It was very different than what had ever been fought before. Uh, and these changes in technology in the Spanish and Portuguese did not have these same types. It was clapboard mm-hmm. and it was a yeah. different, it was a more Northern European way of building ships. And it's one of the things with the Spanish Armada 50, 60 years after this time, 70 years, that the Spanish wanted um, the the whole technique of warfare, naval warfare before was grappling, throwing mm-hmm. the hook over, and then yeah. boarding. And because the British, because the English had these ships that could shoot from the side, they could stay much further away and they could shoot at them from the side and they didn't have to go in a tight formation and try and grapple yeah. and, and stuff. It also, though sadly meant that a lot of times things went really 
bonky and there was uh well, one I of these imagine. one of these early battles with France uh there was a story of somebody the 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 cannon blew up and the whole ship sank and it was like their ship well, I can and, just imagine all the gunpowder they would have to have stored and mm-hmm. I bet yeah and they didn't have like you know, fireproof containers and stuff back yeah. then. So yeah, so there were a lot of mishaps of, early on. Yeah, but lots it, of opportunity for bad things to happen. Yeah, but as they perfected it, they were able to you know become a lead, the leading naval power in the world, and that was in part because of this early bit of technology that allowed for these holes and the cannons hmm. to go on. Yeah, yeah, and then so later. Uh, Thomas Boleyn, is that his name? Mm-hmm. He became an, a knight, the knight of the garter. Yeah. And that was, he really did become. Probably. The, yeah. I, okay. I mean, I would, yeah. The knight of the garter was a, an exclusive, I think it still exists today, an exclusive group of, of knights. And there was a big ceremony and, um, it was quite yeah. mystical. And that was, and he was just doing that cause he likes he his, wanted daughter, his daughter, the yeah. king. Okay. And he also said he's in control of the household. He was the comptroller. Comptroller. Yeah, and that's a, that's something that still exists in companies today. Okay, it's the person who manages. Uh, it's like a financial position where you manage the income. It's like a. Okay, so I'm not a so. professional at knowing, but you like run the the money of <laughs> yeah, This isn't your your forte my, of knowledge, but it's it has to do with more than I do. Money of okay. the household. I didn't know comptroller was a word. So there you go. <laughs> You know more than I do. Um, and then Lady or Anne was mm-hmm. to become. Lady. So he said, oh, and by the way, your your daughter, she's mm-hmm. she's neat. And he said, oh, yes, she's going to be a lady in waiting. Yes. What's a lady in waiting? Is that like you just waited around for the king to you know, want to hook up with you? Or Anne is so into Robin Hood right now, the Disney one. Yeah. And there's the scene where Maid Marian is playing tennis with Lady Cluck. Yes. And she's like, as your lady in waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> yes. That always cracks me up. Anyway. I'm glad that that's one of your favorite jokes of that movie. It is. Um, no, a lady in waiting was the queens would have their, their ladies who would dress them. And who it was. A, I saw them brushing her hair at the exactly. end. Exactly. So you that's know, what they were. Yeah. And it was uh, an important place for women if you could get a place in the household of the queen. It was an important thing to be able to, to have because uh, you could have advancement. You were living mm-hmm. at court then. And, and that's how, you know, what Anne Boleyn was doing in France. She was with mm-hmm. the, the French court. And so it was a really lucky thing if you could get your daughter. So a lady there. in waiting is like a servant of the queen. Yeah. She would keep the queen company and she would, yeah, she was basically like the queen's friends and she'd do yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would call that a, like a servant. But. Yeah. Okay. And then you could maybe meet a duke. Exactly. And get married into something or, or something. Yeah, exactly. All right. And also the other thing is even if you were married, um, you know, your husband might be somebody in the court and then you would be in in the yeah. court as a lady in waiting too so it wasn't necessarily for single women who wanted to find husbands no like, i, I uh, just yeah. meant mm-hmm. that might be one option or... it might be indeed okay yeah so it's, it's just hob- it also, hobnobbing with the with the with the and it royalty. also was something that people did even not on a royal level so there's a a famous noble woman called Bess of hardwick and she made her she went away 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, at age 12, 14, something like that, to an, another nobleman's house where she served that nobleman as a lady-in-waiting equivalent to that house. So even though they weren't the queen, you know, if you could get something a couple of steps up from you socially, Mm -hmm. it was good for you because it would also teach you how to, how to run a household. And hopefully that family could introduce you to people and stuff like that. So it wasn't just Queens that had lady and ladies in waiting, although that was like the big deal. If you could get that job. Okay. Yeah. Cause then you'd see the King. So like in my head, it's like this big female servant thing. Yeah, sure. So females would go off to serve other females in higher statues than or so, Yeah, and you know they'd learn about running a household, they'd learn their it, the the woman was charged. It wasn't just a one-way street of them serving. The the woman who you were who you were in her household, she basically treated you like a daughter and would try and arrange a good marriage for you. It was a, a two-way reciprocal yeah. sort of she would teach you, you would go to school, you know, as as much schooling as you could okay. have, but you would, you know, learn things in that household, and I get it. And so, yeah, cool. Yeah, servant makes it sound so like they're sleeping in the fire with the ashes. No, like I don't mean like a slave. It's just a like they they would like do what the people would tell. I mean, they yeah. were sort of it was their boss. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So they were in the employ kind of, and mm-hmm. the other person, and they wouldn't necessarily get paid. They would get things, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't necessarily make like a. A wage or right, something, right? So in, in my head, that's a servant. But yeah, it's, it's just it, it leads us into this whole discussion of like 16th century economy and pre-modern economies, where you don't have like money being exchanged for things, but it's more like patronage. And, and it's just I don't know. When I think servant, I think of like somebody who's you know receiving a wage for work that they do, and it's their boss, and it's like a very one-way relationship. And I this was think, a much more. I just think a servant serves the person that they're a servant of. Cool. All right. Thomas Wyatt. Yeah. He was like Anne Boleyn's boyfriend or something. Eh, you know, Thomas Wyatt was a poet. He was also, he was married at the time. Uh, there was still this whole courtly love thing that would go on. And courtly love was introduced through the Eleanor of Aquitaine and early on in the, that's in the, like the 12th century. And it was this whole idea that you would pick a lady to serve her and you would raise her up and she could be married or whatever. And you would be her knight. And, you know, it was this whole Arthur and Guinevere and the and courtly love thing. And I think Thomas uh, Henry himself, you can tell early on really followed that, that idea of courtly love. And he wanted to try to bring back some of the romance of, of medieval courts with this whole thing. And he would write these passionate letters and say he was, you know, even with Anne Boleyn, he would say, I'm your servant and all these kind of things going back to that. And Thomas Wyatt being a poet probably saw a lot of that. Now, later on, Thomas Wyatt would be implicated in Anne Boleyn's downfall. There were rumors that there was a pre-contract with them or, you know, that she had slept with him before and, you know, whatever. And, 
he was put in the tower and he is one of the only ones, I think he was the only one, an Anne Boleyn expert would know this, but uh, to not actually be killed uh, of all of the people who were accused with her, including her brother and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the people who were accused with her when she was falling. And he was not killed. But there's a very famous poem that he wrote when he was in the tower that is his most famous piece about these dark days have broken my heart and seeing all these people, because he was watching all these executions. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. I also did an episode on Tudor poets and he's mentioned in there. So nice. look at that little plug for my podcast. Well, this is all the stuff you like. Exactly. Yeah. So that's Thomas Wyatt. I don't know that they, I think that if they would have actually had more than they did, it would have come out in her trial. Mm hmm. But so whatever. Who knows? Okay, and I mean, he was connect. He was a real person. He was connected. Yeah, with and I think he okay. did indeed. I think he loved her more than she loved him. Yeah. Yes. And he said that he was going to get a divorce, and he was separated. Like, is that something they did back then? Was like people got divorced and and stuff? And- yeah, you could arrange for annulments. There wasn't so much. I mean, they might not divorce. have called it divorce, yeah. but people. I mean, mm-hmm. I. I thought back then you just got married and that was it. Or... If you had money, you could do anything. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. And then Henry. So then he, Henry was writing his letter mm-hmm. against uh, Protestantism. Is yes. that the word? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you said that's ironic or. Yes. Because like he went on to. Found the Church of England. Be a Protestant founder. Or like, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, so this goes way deep into Henry's psyche and whatever. Henry never actually was a Protestant. Even until his dying day, he maintained Catholic rights. So up until he died, I mean, one of the very last people who was burned at the stake was Anna Skew, and she was a Protestant martyr that, was, that Henry burned in 1546. And so he never was actually a Protestant in terms of he still believed in transubstantiation, which is that when you take communion, the the wafer actually is Christ. It was a big tenet of Protestantism or of um, yeah, Protestants said it's yeah. it's it's um, symbolic. Symbolic. It's not actually real. And Henry said, uh, uh-uh, uh, you got to believe that it's real. That was a really big thing for him. And just in terms of saying the mass, he didn't want the Bible to be in English. He didn't want all of so these the whole, things. The whole thing that he founded the Church of England, because he did found mm-hmm. the Church of England, yep. is kind of ironic because he kind of considered, like, he's just kind of ironic with the whole The whole thing, thing is ironic for him, yeah. He he's never, like I don't, super Catholic. Yeah, he never actually supported the Protestants at all. He just didn't want to... He, he just he didn't just want the, the divorce. Pope. Yeah, he didn't want the Pope telling him what to do, which yeah. was not unique for English kings. English kings, people... He, even though he probably still thought he was like the direct connection to God. Right. He just didn't like people telling him what to do. Right, exactly. Well, now I think... I think he thought that he was the, see, this is the whole thing. Like people think Henry was the first one to argue with the Pope and English Kings from the beginning of time argued with the Pope because it was the whole idea that he was like in Rome 
And what Who's right to did tell him he, about how his, to do anything with, with his kingdom? And, and also, by this time, the church was so powerful and had so much land; they didn't have to pay taxes on their land. You see how powerful they can become with Woolsey, and you know the church had so much money. And Henry ultimately won, wanted to get his hands on that money, and that's why we would. The next Thomas we're going to meet likely is going to be Cromwell, and he's going to mastermind the dissolution of the monasteries and giving all that money to Henry with which he will use it to build more ships and invade France, because why not? And so, um, you know, the thing with Henry, I even back, I mean, back 400 years, Henry II killed Thomas at Becket, who's now a saint because of the, it, the Rome was bugging him and, you know, the, the Pope, and there was all these arguments over land use and rights, and all there was a big argument, and the king supposedly killed him. Anyway, um, so this wasn't new, Pope kings arguing with popes, but Henry just kind of took it way further than any other, and he was excommunicated and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then Thomas More. Yes. He said, I'm, you know, when they were writing that letter, he says, Thomas, you know, I'm going to make you a knight. Mm-hmm. Like, Thomas More was really made a, a yeah, was knighted he, well, or Well, he was made a Sir Thomas More. Yeah, he, he was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned, I, I was talking about more mm-hmm. and like he just, he, he was okay. So they were burning the books. Right. And I, I and I just said, did, did they really burn the books? And, and you said, yeah, they, they really burned the books. And, and you mentioned that more actually burned people later. Sure. What do you mean? Sure. No, I mean, yeah, he did. That's, yeah. Wow. I mean, but that's why I said, okay, so here's the thing. When, when you look at punishments for heresy, the idea of a punishment for heresy was to be burned. And they actually thought that it was merciful at the time. There was a line of thinking that it was merciful because you were able to taste the fires of hell while you were still alive. And that would give you time to repent. So you could repent before you actually died. What a sweet man. Well, yeah. So I get it. It was a different time. I get it. I'm just, it's crazy that this guy who's like all about God and everything was like burning people to death. It's just, yeah, it's a a trip to me. And as, as gunpowder became more prominent, people would, if you had family and you could get the money it was a thing that if you had had somebody that could do it, it it was a gracious thing when you were being burned to have your family put some gunpowder around your neck so that you would explode. It would go faster. Just shoot me. <laughs> Please. So there's like these images when Mary becomes Mary the first and she's killing the, the Protestants. And Elizabeth also burned uh, Catholic killed Catholics yeah. as well. Uh, there are these images, you know, that I, I think of in my head of like them put being up on the platform yeah. and the fires being, being lit and, you know, and somebody will exploding. and no, and somebody will run up and, and give them and, and give them uh, gunpowder and it'll make it go fast. Just stand it to them fast. <laughs> before you... All right. Yeah. Um, so then Charles. Yes. Shows up. Yes. To the to the court. He does. And they announce him as the Archduke, you know, of, of among other things, the royal mm-hmm. emperor and, and the Archduke of Austria. Right. Like, isn't uh, my geography is really bad, but yes. ge- 
Austria isn't right next to Spain. No. Like what? Like what's going on there? It's because he, from his father's side, inherited the Habsburg Empire. That's how he became the Holy Roman Empire. So his grandfather was Maximilian, and he was of Austria. And then it was through Philip became the king of Spain through his mother, Juana. And then through his father. Oh, because everyone, because like back, like his grandfather married his son to the wife in Spain and then they had a kid. Yeah. So it's like consolidating power. And so this guy just had a lot of power. He wound up getting an awful lot. Yes. And he said something about his chin and and we looked that up and apparently there's a Habsburg jaw. Jaw is like a thing. Yeah. So they all had prominent chins. Chins. There yeah. you go. <laughs> all right. And then I, I mentioned, I, I asked you, like, would they, they wouldn't have been speaking English to each other, but they, you said they probably would have been Latin speaking Latin. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you were to say that, like Latin was a language spoken, I yeah. mean, not necessarily by normal people, but no, by that like was royalty. Like, yeah. And then after that would also be French. So do you know when? And I don't know if you know this. Do you know when people stopped speaking Latin? Because like people don't really. I, I know some people take it in school and stuff, but like mm-hmm. people don't really speak Latin anymore, right? It's like a no. dead language. Or I would guess that it was. I don't know this for a fact. Yeah. But I would guess that it's as the church stopped having so much so much power because yeah. that's sort of I see because everything was in Latin for the church. Yeah, like all stuff. the Bibles. The Bi- and yeah, everything. exactly. Okay. So once you started getting Bibles in your own languages and things like that. It became less important to yeah. speak Latin. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just, it's, I guess it's just a commentary. Like, like how weird would it be to meet, to be like a grown man, like in your 20s or 30s or whatever, and like meeting your eight-year-old or how like six year old, eight year old wife, like yeah, I, just that's so weird. I mean, it's like you're burning people alive. I mean, I know this is different things, but I just it's like hard for me to wrap my head around. Like, hi, here's your here's your wife, and it's like, oh, you sweet little cute thing, mm-hmm. like you're gonna be my wife, and do you want a piece of candy? Like, yeah, it's just so weird. Yeah, like, and like that's just kind of normal. Well, like, so. It wasn't normal in everyday life. No, I know. But, but like for royalty and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, which makes it seem even weirder. Like, you'd think you could, like, marry me to someone close to my own age. But, I mean, I know you didn't have a lot of choices because I only had one daughter and just happened to be where people lined up. And, and like I said, it's better than being married, you know, mm-hmm. Margaret or Mary or whoever was married to the old. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess if I was, I'd rather be eight married to a. 25 year old than a 30 year old married to an 80 year old. But also I think that this is in part where the whole idea, like I just talked about with courtly love came in too, because there wasn't the expectation, especially for royalty and for nobility that you were going to marry somebody for love. Uh, There was the expectation that you would marry for your family to try and advance your family Mm -hmm. to, you know, make good business dealings, get some land. You know, if you were noble, you would, you weren't royal, but if you were minor noble, maybe you marry somebody who has a little bit more minor. land and you get some land. So where does the so, courtly love come Because in? So the idea is that you, 
you weren't going to get that kind of affection in your marriage. You were lucky if you got some yeah. friendship and, you know, some people you did. were lucky if they were like within 15 years of your age. Right. And some people, I mean, some people, even where there were great age differences grew to be very affectionate with each other yeah. and, and have that. But the whole idea of courtly love was, you know, you could play, you could flirt, you could get. So your, that was kind of your love then. Yeah. It was you, like your court. So you would have this person you would that have you your would, night like, imagine and, mm-hmm. and uh, okay and he that kind of makes sense he would serve you and he would you know and, and that would sort of satisfy s- your your romantic love desire right and then you're married to some you know the 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 neighboring nobles right stupid little kid or yeah or, and so there was there was this whole kind of second level of flirtation yeah in courts, and that's where you had to really watch it that it didn't get out of hand. And that's yeah. what one of Anne Boleyn's problems was that she let that kind of get out of hand yeah. a little bit too much. And so it's, it's those eyes, right? So there was, um, you know, there were certain rules around courtly love, and you could actually even kind of make out with your, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you could kiss and, you know, you could have this little flirtatious relationship with the people at court and have your courtly love, but there were very strict rules around it. And like, you were never in private with them. And, you and were, were they you know, called, were they called anything? Were they like, like if, for example, if you had my courtly, courtly lover. love out there, like, is he called something? Is he called your your knight or your, I, I mean, there's no, not like I think a specific they would just name, give each other affectionate, but there's not, there's not know. a standard. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, I think there probably were different. I'm not an expert on courtly love, but I think that there were acceptable because there were a lot of rules around it. That much I do know. I'm so very, I think I'm, there, see, this is a, I'm very interested in this courtly <laughs> love thing. It just sounds, it, it's just intriguing to me. No, it is. Or maybe I'll have to read a book or something. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I did read a book on boats. I know so, you did. You were very intrigued by the Navy. I was. It's really book. interesting. Like the, uh, just for anyone out there, I'm not a history buff, but the history of ships is, is uh, to me quite fascinating. And there's actually a podcast I'm going to give a plug to the maritime ha- history podcast. Would I like that podcast? I think you would. All it's, right. it's all about maritime history. Uh, yeah. 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 Confession. I've never listened regularly to a podcast. You are in the minority of people. I know. I mean, I'm I'm making a podcast, and I. You've I, never listened to one. No, I'm missing out. You don't have. It's it's because you have a Windows phone. Yeah, I know. I don't know that they have any podcasting apps <laughs> for you on a Windows phone. <laughs> to, to anyone else out there with Windows phones, you can don't, feel my pain. Don't it, get That's one. a good camera, but that's about it. <laughs> um, okay, and then they talked about the Aztec treasures, and yes, like that. That's like real, like. Yeah. I I'm, I know Aztecs are real, but like they already were like sailing to and from the Americas. Yeah. Like at this time. Yeah. And what, around what years is this all happening again? This, well, 1492 was Columbus. No, I, no. Oh, what, but we're in watching. the story. Uh, 1520s. 1520s. So we're 30s, 35 years into it. It's just, it's just blowing my mind that like they were crossing the Atlantic and like, and coming back, like yeah. it's like, well, then, but I guess like the the Vikings and stuff crossed the Atlantic like years in like eleven hundred. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Wait before then, even when I mean the Viking raids yeah. of England were the ninth century, but you uh, know, interestingly, Henry the Seventh had hired Sebastian Cabot uh, to do a, a, sh- a voyage to America, and that was before Henry the Eighth. That was in the fourteen nineties. 
So England had tried to get in on it. Henry VII recognized the importance mm-hmm. of it. And then Henry VIII didn't really do too much funding of it because yeah. uh, he was busy making war with France. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then there was eventually a quest for – they knew that the Northwest Passage wasn't going to work. They tried to do a quest to the Northeast Passage, and they thought that they <laughs> could go around Russia. Too far. Yeah. yeah, but they wound up, they wound up finding the, the White Sea, I guess it is, that goes down into yeah. Moscow. And well, one one boat froze, and they were actually found by Russian fishermen the next year, and they were all still in place. They, they think it was actually carbon monoxide mm-hmm. poisoning that killed them. But anyway, that was the one boat. But the other boat actually made it down to Moscow, and they started a trading relationship with Ivan the Terrible. And Ivan the Terrible actually proposed marriage to Queen Elizabeth I. So that would have been a a, a wild change in in history. Yeah, that gone through. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. That was English exploration That's pre cool. pre 15 pre Walter, Walter Raleigh and Francis right. Drake. Yeah. I've, I've heard those names. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Okay. No, actually we won't in this no, show. No. All right. So then Charles, the Spanish King, yes. the Roman emperor was talking about German mercenaries yes. and they were fighting and, and they planned to take Milan. Yes. Like what? Like what's that about? Well, he act, he wound up sacking Rome, like I said, with his German mercenaries, and it was terrible. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Like it lasted like five days a week, something like that, just with these German mercenaries going insane on Rome and like raping nuns and pillaging and all this kind of stuff. It was really bad. So he was trying to conquer the Italian states. But he was all- wasn't he like. Their guy? I mean, I'm... Well, he was the guy for the Pope. He wasn't the guy for the Italian states. Okay, because that's, like, different. Yeah. All right. Sure he wanted to add to his empire. Yeah. Why not? Um, if you have German mercenaries at the ready? Yeah. So, I guess, again, I guess it's just commentary or whatever, and mm-hmm. we have a difference of opinion. We do? Just, uh, the, to me, like, the... That's how dancing kind of was back then, or according to tradition. <laughs> or, yeah. Okay, that's like that dancing sucks. Yeah. Like I'm so glad I don't live then and have to dance like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons I feel like I don't like history because I feel like we got stuff the good the stuff time. now. Yeah. You know, we got the good music and we got the yeah. good dancing and the good food and. But it's all in, you know, there's a perspective, I guess, to be had that that I'm sort of lacking. You know, I think it's interesting because like we talked about with Courtly Love, dancing was fell into that vein. And there were all these rules around the steps and, you know, who could dance with who and how you would do it and whatever. And, And you were supposed to be schooled in that so that, you know, if you were somebody who was a lady and you were, you know, at court, you were supposed to know all the steps of everything and a pavan and whatever. And so you could step into it. But beneath that and that's what i think is so interesting about this time just like with courtly love there were all these rules on the surface but it was like a, an iceberg right like underneath all of that the 90 percent. what is it you see 10 percent of an iceberg and like 90 percent is underneath mm-hmm. so we see those dances that's like the 10 percent of the surface and underneath that the the kind of plotting and scheming and drama that would go on and you know just with a simple four-step dance like i don't know i just think it's it's interesting that you have all of these rules but they cover up for so much 
underneath it. I like it. Deep, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Then Henry had the dream. Yes. About Anne. Yes. And she was saying like, you, you know, I'm, Seducing. you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're in my, um, you know, you're under my command now or whatever Reminded she said. Reminded me of like a, a Calvin Klein perfume ad. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Running through these halls and stuff. <laughs> um, did he like really write her songs and poems yeah. and all that? So they were like really like they had a thing. Well, yeah, they had a lot of passion and mm-hmm. he, he did. There's some, Henry actually was a, a fairly decent composer. So he, there's music. That you oh, can, so he wrote her song. It wasn't just wrote, like he wrote her like the lyrics to songs. No, he, wrote he wrote her, like, her the actual whole song. music. Oh, my heart. And oh, my heart. It's like this longing. He, he, I'll play some of the it King, for you. The King minute. gets down. And, uh, you know, and his music, you know, he's no Thomas he was, Dallas. He was really, he was, uh, like, it's not a pun or what, like, he was like a renaissance No, he really man. was. And he like, really saw, I mean, and I think that's what's so unfair. And the one thing I do like about the Tudors is that they show, I think they show a little bit more stereotypical Henry in regards to the sex and, you know, that he's humping everybody all the time. But do people still say humping? We just, we just did. We just did. Yeah, people like us. <laughs> but you know, like Henry, really, he was smart. I mean, he was raised to be to be in the church, so he had a really ground, grounded education in in classics and in literature, and, and he composed and he wrote and. You know, it, he wasn't just a, a chubby old bearded man who chopped everyone's no, heads off. No, if he would have died before 1536, I think people would remember him quite differently than yeah. we do now. I just the last 10, 12 years of his life were not so good. Yeah. But yeah, he was his his compositions are he's no Thomas Tallis, but he's actually he's better than me. He's kind of like Elvis, like that. You know? I mean, do I you just, think he's living on the moon with Elvis? Uh, that took a turn <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay, so we're almost done. All right. Yeah, it's it's late here. So Brandon. Yes. Charles Brandon. Yes. The Duke of Norfolk. Yeah. And Thomas Boleyn. Yes. They all hated Wolsey. Everybody I, hated Wolsey. And I guess we, we touched on that earlier, and it's just like he's like this new guy. Well, and even Brand- but Brandon's kind of a new guy, but he still doesn't like it because Wolsey's like calling all the shots, and yeah, and Wolsey isn't his isn't a friend of Brandon's, yeah. So he's like begrudged towards Wolsey because he has Henry's ear, and like Henry's the one who likes him, right? So just everyone, no one likes Wolsey, and the guy locked up doesn't like Wolsey, and. Nobody likes Wolsey. No, and the French don't like Wolsey because he tried mm-hmm. to make a deal with them, and the Spanish don't like him because, in reality, he made another treaty with the French like a week after they did, even though it's different in the story. And so no one likes him. Yeah. I, I Do you think Wolsey even likes Wolsey? I think Wolsey does what he has to do to survive. Yeah. And... He's just sort of, scra- yeah, like scrapping uh, for his... And it served him well because it got him to the point of being a cardinal, but... You know, if he could have been, I it, I think it must have been hard because once, you know, you you keep reaching and reaching and you're and you're just relying on your wits and your smarts and everything like that, and then you get to be a cardinal and it's almost like you wish you could just rest at that point, but you can't because now it's like a whole nother level you know, you of all this politics you need to yeah. navigate. So, I think Woolsey maybe might have regretted ever having such ambition. I don't know. Maybe he yeah. would have been happier as a butcher, but. 
Yeah, maybe he not. He wouldn't have had Hampton Court. Yeah, then. exactly. He had Hampton know. Court. And got got to go stuff. to Rome. and Got to wear fancy red outfits. Those red outfits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Silly hats. Yep. All right. Well, those right. are my questions. So do you want to move on to your well, themes? No, I, there's only kind of two in this episode, which is just the sort of changing face of, di- of diplomacy. There was this strange relationship that continued throughout the 16th century between England, France, and the emperor and, uh, well, Spain. And, you know, it was like these three kind of powers and the other people played the low countries in Italy and different places would play parts. But, you know, it was this triangle of who was going to be the balancing against the other one. And um, this, we kind of saw how fluid those relationships could be. And so that was kind of something that really happened and, and uh, was a part of 16th century life for Henry. And then um, also the relationship that Catherine and her nephew Charles would have and how loyal Charles actually was to his aunt. And, you know, he had self-serving reasons as well, but how that would make Henry's divorce very difficult for him once it came time, because see the emperor sacks Rome and has the Pope in his hand. And then Henry comes asking for a divorce from the emperor's aunt, and he's not going to be too happy about that. So um, there, there's that coming. And then also Anne and Henry's relationship, you know, they did meet at the mask and this early on, there's not a whole lot that, that hints at what's going to come with them. And so a lot of this is dramatic license, looking back at it through hindsight, but it was a very passionate relationship. And so, you know, it, it could have gone it could have been he might have had dreams of hallways and stuff like that so yeah and and i like that i feel like they got the memo the the people making the show that there was a lack of skin of uh, girl skin in the second week yeah yeah i know you were disappointed about that they rectified things they took care of that this episode really glad that that keeps a level of interest for you yeah i think it helps for for the guys i don't know maybe it's just me you know, I think a lot of the straight guys are being forced to watch this by their wives, and so they have to throw something in to keep them happy. There you go. <laughs> See, they should do the same with, like, sports and right? car races. See, that's like what they that. need in sports. See, you know, instead of girl cheerleaders, like, the guys already have the sports to look at. Right. So what they need is, is like, hot, scantily clad men cheerleaders right. to keep the women entertained. I would totally watch. See, we got to try and sell this to the to like one of the big sporting people. I don't think any of can you see Roger Goodell or like any of the football team owners no, having any interest in that? Like football guy, tough football fans, what they would have to say <laughs> about that idea? I don't think it would go over too. I don't well. think it would go no, over. It wouldn't at all. help the slumping ratings. No, are there slump? Okay, I'm sorry. That's okay. Left turn. All right. So thanks again for listening to our podcast and we hope you like it. And so um, you can learn more about us and get more information on watchingthetutors.com. That's us. And also, again, just leave us a rating on iTunes if you like the show. And we will talk to you again next week. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.